Welcome to this podcast episode of Narcissists in Divorce, The Narcissist Trap. I'm Dr. Supriya McKenna. I'm a former family doctor, but my life's true work is working with people who have fallen prey to narcissistic relationships of any kind. But I'm particularly busy in the area of divorce. Over the last few years, I've been very proud to become an Amazon best-selling author on the subject of narcissism, and my brand new book, Narcissists in Divorce, From Love Locked to Leaving, is out right now on Amazon. That's the first book in the Narcissists in Divorce series, and the follow-on to that will be out in the spring, and that's called Narcissists in Divorce, From Leaving to Liberty. And please do note that although I use the word divorce, these books are equally applicable to anyone leaving a serious intimate relationship with a narcissist, whether they are married or not. I also have a book out called The Narcissist Trap, The Mind-Bending Pull of the Great Pretenders. And that book might be useful in helping the people around you who are supporting you to understand more about what happened to you and about narcissism generally. I'm also the co-author with British divorce lawyer Karen Walker of Narcissism and Family Law, a practitioner's guide. And between us, Karen and I have trained thousands of family law professionals in narcissistic personality disorder, including judges, lawyers, mediators and social workers. For further narcissism resources from me, please do visit thelifedoctor.org or drsapria.com. And that web address has the doctor fully spelt out. So, Supriya, in a divorce situation, communication becomes so important. Um, So many difficulties arise between separating couples because they can't communicate with one another very well. In fact, one might say that that often is the root cause of the breakdown of the relationship. Mm. But when the relationship involves a narcissist, um, then obviously communication takes on a whole different role and has a different effect within the dynamic. Um, And how would you say that that might be the case between the couple and how would it be best to communicate when you're separating with the narcissistic spouse yeah it's a really really tough one because and it lies actually central to, to managing the divorce in a, in a manageable way because the narcissist is going to be sending messages all the time if you're not living together and even if you are living together the narcissist is going to be sending messages to you all the time by every possible means. So it's going to be by email, by WhatsApp, by text, any other type of messaging device. And you're going to be bombarded with accusations and ranting messages that are just sort of pinging on your phone one after the other. And that's sort of classic narcissistic communication. And the problem is that there's lots of accusations made in these communications. And you feel as a recipient of them, that you need to, to make sure that for the purposes of court, if you're going to end up in court, that you you justify or deny any of these allegations that are being made against you. So what you do is you feel that you must respond. And um, so if somebody's sort of saying to you, oh, you're an alcoholic, and you're not, you want to say, well, no, I'm not. And you want to respond to that kind of message. But the problem is actually what you're doing in responding is feeding the drama. In feeding the drama, what you're doing is you're, you're giving narcissistic supply to the narcissist and you're actually making the situation worse. And that also happens, of course, 
in the context of face-to-face communications. Right. So when you're actually communicating with an artist face-to-face and they're picking up on all your visual cues and they know exactly which buttons to push, as I've said many times before, so they will get a, an emotional response from you. Right. So there is a method for face-to-face communications called the grey rock technique, which um, is really highly recommended. And I think you know quite a bit about that. Could you describe it for us? Yeah, so um, the grey rock technique, as I understand it, is in effect behaving like a rock. So totally devoid of any emotion or involvement, but just being very remote and cool and not responding in, in any way that gives rise to a sort of a counter response from the other person. That's quite hard to do because especially when you're upset, emotional, cross, all sorts of other things you, you want to rise to the situation and it or it might just feel completely rude to be almost sort of motionless and devoid of any any mm. substance or response or anything else but just to behave like a rock ignoring and static um, and of course if if you're empathetic as most spouses of narcissistic people are because that's the type yeah. of person that they will have selected then yeah. that goes completely against the grain to be almost ignoring them in this very cold and mm. flat way but you would say I think Supriya that it's absolutely essential to behave like that I think it really really is it does feel incredibly rude and it also feels really really unnatural and you think well this is ridiculous mm-hmm. like we should be able to communicate but step one is understanding that communication is going to be off it's not going to work with a narcissist especially a narcissist in the throes of narcissistic injury and that of course is what's happening when you're in that divorce situation Mm -hmm. there is narcissistic injury they are responding with narcissistic rage and they're also trying to rope you back in they're trying to hoover you back into the relationship but mostly they're trying to hoover you back in to get that drama and that narcissistic supply from you so it's really really hard to do I always sort of describe it as trying to act like Mr. Spock from Star mm-hmm. Trek. So completely devoid of, of all sort of human emotion. Um, and that kind of translates to how you look. So you want to sort of not be making eye contact with the narcissist. And again, you see that feels so completely wrong and, and odd to be looking in the other direction or to be looking slightly away from the narcissist. So you make no mm-hmm. eye contact at mm-hmm. all. Of course, the temptation when someone says something outrageous to you is that your eyebrows will raise or that something will will flash across your face, even if it's only a micro movement. Mm. But you've got to really try and sort of take guardianship Mm. of your facial features, take guardianship of your eyebrows, really, and try and keep them in one fixed position. You need to show as just nothing. It has to be completely an emotionless mask um, on your face. That's so important. Gosh, that almost sounds as though one needs to practice this um, just to, to keep your facial expressions in check. Yeah, yep. You know, it's just completely natural, isn't it, to be animated and to respond to things. And that's how we communicate. So you have to cut that off. And if you, this is only if you're forced to see the narcissist, of course. I mean, ideally, um, it, you know, in the ideal mm. world, you won't be seeing the narcissist at all. The ideal mm. method of communication with a narcissist is to go no contact um, and to never see them. But unfortunately, if you share mm-hmm. children with them or if you're at work with them or, what, or if you're living mm-hmm. in the same house as them, you can't uh, move out or they can't move out, then obviously there's got to be some tactic that can, you can use. Given mm-hmm. that it is all about narcissistic supply for a narcissist, everything actually boils down to narcissistic supply. And of course, we have discussed this in a previous mm-hmm. podcast. So it's worth listening to that if, if people don't know about narcissistic supply, because it really is 
core to the condition of narcissism. But um, but it's all about narcissistic supply. So that that sort of completely neutral expression means that they've got nothing to go off mm. at all. They've got nothing to feed off. And of course, it also applies to then how you how you speak to them. Yeah. So the tone that you use, for example. Mm. So most people are really quite animated in conversation. Again, the, their tone will vary. Um, yeah. You know, the, the pitch will vary. They'll go up and down. The volume will increase and decrease. And all of those things need to be thought about with a grey mm. rock technique. Mm. So you want to be almost monotone, yeah, I suppose. That's it. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Monotone, mm. slow down. To yeah. slow your speech yeah. because you actually want to be boring. Mm. You want to come across as being like mm-hmm. a grey rock, completely inanimate mm-hmm. and boring. So yeah, slow that speech down to a sort of slightly unnaturally slow meter. Mm. You can hear that I'm quite excitable and you know um, quite <laughs> animated, and so it, you know I know just how difficult this can be, but it is possible. And also using as few words as possible. So what you're actually saying. Just try to dilute it down to the bare essentials. Yes, no. I mean, anything more than yes or no, Mm. actually, is probably a little Mm. bit too much. So if you're you're going beyond a sentence, you want to know why. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's a little bit like being being cross-examined, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that's commonly said, isn't it? If you've answered the question in more than a sentence, uh, then you're probably saying too much Mm. because you're trying to justify And you're trying to tell your story. Mm. So um, that's that's a, probably a topic for another podcast. Yeah, but it's the same technique. Yeah. And, and so quite useful to learn um, to be a- able to use it in all circumstances within this situation. I mean, that's a very good point, because actually, if you do end up at a final hearing in your divorce, then yes, I mean, you're, you're going to need to be quite practiced at the great mm. technique for when you are on the witness stand, because, of course, any kind of emotional reaction um, is going to work against you. So this is really, really good practice. It's, it's a very good point, Matt. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it sounds like something that I am. I, mean, I, I said slightly frivolously about practicing, but it sounds as though practicing is a really good idea. I think it is. I think it's a really, really good idea. And I, I do tell clients to, to practice all sorts of things in the mirror, especially for the court situation, mm. the way that they stand, the way that they sit, the way that they hold themselves, the expression again on their face. I mean, if you're sitting in a court situation and your um, ex is being cross-examined and they're saying outrageous things because they will be saying outrageous things, yeah. again, um, you know, you need to take guardianship of your features because you don't want to be rolling your eyes and slapping the table and raising your eyebrows and you know you need to be Mr Spock completely Vulcan no expression no reaction because it will work against you if you show any yeah any reaction yeah so it is good practice yeah and I guess um it's so important to reduce supply because that's going to make the narcissist less ebullient and less feeling on top of their game um that you actually don't want to be providing supply at this juncture at all so again so important to develop this grey rock technique mm. um, because um, you otherwise you're just fueling that which you're working against. Yeah, yeah, and it's the way that it works is that because you're reducing narcissistic supply, um, and they need narcissistic supply. Yeah. If you are no longer a decent source of narcissistic supply for the narcissist, it means that they are going to have to slink off and find other sources of supply. Now, I mean that's you know, because you're an empath, probably, you know, you're probably going to think, well, that's Mm. terrible. They're going to go and find someone else to abuse. 
perhaps I should continue to be the cushion that they kind of pummel. Mm. But actually, you know, that's always going to be the case. A narcissist is going to have many, many people in their orbit and Mm. they're going to be abusing a variety of people in a variety of different Mm. ways at, at a variety of different stages. So that's an inevitability anyway. Um, Mm. And to save yourself and your children, which of course is, you know, you need to be strong for the children, you're going to need to to reduce that supply and you're going to need to accept that the narcissist is going to be abusing other people and try and put yourself first and reduce that supply so that they do go off um, Mm -hmm. and find someone else to to get their narcissistic supply from. And it's remarkably effective. One of the things that people tend to do though is they do it for a bit and then they crack Mm. and they sort of show emotion or they you know they do respond to something that they just you know they just couldn't hold it in the narcissist has said something to them they're standing opposite them they're looking in the opposite direction but they've just pushed that button as they turn around and they look them in the eye and they you know deliver what they think is a killer line and of course Mm. they've they've broken it then they've broken the gray rock technique and you're, you're sort of back to square one you know you can't break it a little bit or do it mostly you've got to do it all of the time you've got to commit to doing it a hundred percent of the time and when you do actually it's remarkably effective at reducing supply and and allowing the narcissist to leave you alone essentially yeah yeah and I guess um of course then if we take that into um the legal situation and the lawyer's office where the lawyer let's say is acting for the narcissist mm. um, then of course they're going to be subjected to the same communication issues that have been presented to the spouse um, because inevitably there's communication between solicitor and client yeah um, and in my experience the narcissistic client wants to be at the at the front end of their lawyer's attention so mm. they they will send um, a plethora of emails at all sorts of times of the day and night expecting an immediate response whether it's seven o'clock in the morning or eight o'clock at night or any variation between the two um if you haven't answered within two or three minutes you'll probably get a second email to check that you are actually at your desk and you have read this or there may be a phone call to your PA or otherwise to make sure that you've got the um communication and you have read it constant telephone calls um if they want to, to know something they want to know it now they don't want to know it later today and if you get sucked into that, there are a number of dangers. I and mean, first of all, you're going to be perhaps dealing with queries which are not crucially important ahead of other clients who perhaps by way of chronological priority were first in line for their more routine inquiry. Um, and that's not appropriate. Or they become dominating in your day so that they're almost the client that you look out for to think, oh, God, I better deal with this. Otherwise, I'm going to have something else in two minutes and it's going to be perpetual. And so ad- adopting the similar approach, I think it's about boundaries and guidelines. Mm. And if you sense that you have a client who suffers from this kind of disorder, explaining to them right at the outset that actually you, you're not going to be able to respond um, out of hours uh, and so on. But I've noticed that some solicitors are putting on their websites and on their email footers that they won't respond except between their opening hours of, let's say, um, 8.30 and 5.30 or something like that. And I think that's quite a good thing to think about from the point of view of the legal profession, just generally. If you then bring that on to to the narcissist, it's a little bit like training somebody to behave appropriately, that if you jump to it and respond then you're just going to get more and more and more of this so putting it straight right at the outset to explain that 
you know, I, mm-hmm. I'll deal with things in an appropriate way. That's for me to run my practice, not to hop to it and respond. If, if there's a problem or because we know that narcissistic clients tend to be quite rude to support staff, um, if there's a sort of a, a difficult conversation, perhaps with a receptionist or a PA to find out why you haven't phoned back in three and a half seconds, perhaps taking that call and at first saying that that's not acceptable and secondly explaining that you know things will be dealt with in an appropriate way and that you're not going to jump to every um, perhaps unnecessary communication Mm. that you receive and I think it's really important Mm. to set those boundaries right at the outset and to not allow yourself to be dragged into it because it'll become a stick to beat you with Mm. and the problem with responding straight away of course is that you're so busy responding to all these sort of multiple things that you don't actually get any Mm. work done the narcissist wants to dominate your time they want to control you so they are going to send those multiple and as soon as they think of it they're going to send it um, because they want that kind of instant gratification they want you to respond immediately because they need their hit of narcissistic supply every time you respond to a minor thing they're getting a hit of narcissistic supply from it and they need that throughout the day absolutely and it's a bigger problem than that as well because as the lawyer if you're responding to all of these knee-jerk little bits and pieces you're not really designed for any other purpose other than to make sure that you're there and responding so that the supply is being provided you're not actually thinking about the strategic overview of the case. You're dealing with it all on a very knee-jerk piecemeal basis, sort of responding to each little probably irrelevant point. And that has two problems. One, it allows the narcissistic client to take control of you when actually you're supposed to be providing advice to them. So that the dynamic of, of the roles gets somewhat skewed, which is not actually even to their advantage. But also you're not giving sound or proper advice from an overview perspective because you're not stepping back and looking at the bigger picture and considering the situation in the round. And that can have two effects. One, it's going to increase costs for your client and for the other side, which may in part be their objective. But secondly, you're you're going to be dealing with all this sort of scattergun, irrelevant small points rather than focusing on that, which is going to resolve the case. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. And so direction is lost, which is which is really unhelpful for everybody. So have you ever had to do the grey rock technique to an actual client, a narcissistic client? I mean, what happens there where you're, you know, you're professionally representing them and they they're being completely unreasonable. How is it possible to, to use the grey rock technique as, as the lawyer or or, you, or is that just impossible? I think it's a really difficult call because on the one hand, your obligation is to your client and to provide them with the service which they see themselves as instructing you to provide. But it's about what that service consists of and when it's reasonable and unreasonable to respond. And so let's say you have a client who sends you a dozen emails in an hour and a half, one less important than the next, but but sent really to make sure that you're there and responding and dealing with things. What I would do in that situation is just pick up the phone and say, look, I do have your 12 emails from this morning, but I'm not going to respond to them 
individually because that's going to adversely affect costs and you won't want that will you and I'm going to give you a time frame within which I'm going to respond to them because I have other other work that I need to prioritize and of course I'm going to make sure that I come back to you within a reasonable time frame and then I can address all of those issues in one go um, in a much more satisfactory way and mm. That, that can work. Um, it, sometimes it doesn't. I think it's a combination of the lawyer being firm, but also having a really good backup support team who understand what they're dealing with and who are able and prepared to step in and just reposition the boundaries. Firmly able to deal mm. with someone who rings you know, constantly um, and who can just explain, yes, um, they have your email. Yes, they will be back to you. Sorry, they're doing whatever they might be doing at the moment they're engaged on another client matter um but yes they they do have the information that they need from you and yes they will get back to you mm. Mm. because it's it's all about boundaries being maintained so really your support staff need to understand you know what's going on as well and they need to understand this personality disorder they do they do mm. and they need to know how to support you to deal with that particular client i mm. think it's it's quite important to make sure that if you've identified that you have a client of this nature, that your support staff are aware of it, because actually how they handle the client will be quite important. So without sort of over explaining yeah. life to them, it's important to be aware of who may come into contact with these individuals and if they have had a bad experience to make sure you take the time to just explain to your staff member why this has happened so that they don't take it to heart and feel that you know they're doing their job badly so yeah I, I really do think that some sort of training for support staff is absolutely vital just so that they know what it is and how to deal with it and how it might impact on their day mm. my brand new book Narcissists in Divorce, From Love Locked to Leaving, is out now. For more information and online courses about narcissism, please do check out my websites, thelifedoctor.org or drsapria.com.